The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss why merchandising matters to B2B brands. Joining us is Johan Bostrom, who is a co-founder at InRiver, which is a product information management company. Their SaaS solution helps customers build better experiences, and they're on a mission to make their customers best in class at marketing and selling their products. And today, Johan is going to talk us through the role of adaptive merchandising in B2B. Okay, here's my conversation with Johan Bostrom, co-founder at InRiver. Johan, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about merchandising. And first and foremost, we're talking about it from a B2B perspective. Generally, when I think about merchandising, I'm thinking about it from an e-commerce and B2C capacity. Talk to me a little bit about what InRiver does and why is merchandising relevant for B2B brands? Well, we coined a term called PXM, which is widely used in the industry today. What we wanted to do when we did that was leave sort of the view of PIM as a data management solution behind, because we've always looked at ourselves as a part of the MarTech stack. And most of our customers today are B2B customers. We started in retail and grew out of retail into B2B. So our solution and what we have helped our customers to achieve has always been merchandising for all their touch points where they're meeting their consumers. Now, a B2B buyer today is, of course, also a B2B consumer, and they tend to want the same experience when they are buying for their employer as they do when they're shopping for Christmas gifts for their kids and their wives and their husbands. Now, merchandising in a B2B perspective is different than merchandising in a B2C perspective. First and foremost, B2B buyers, they tend to want to find the solution to their problem quickly. So the merchandising part is more about helping the buyer to find the right spare part, to find the right accessory, to find the right solution that they're tasked to find for their company. So merchandising is important, but it's more about getting that universe around the product or an offering in front of the buyer so that they can easily find what they're looking for and easily get everything they need in order to get to the solution they're looking for. 
So merchandising is about adding accessories and spare parts that are easily accessible to kits and bundles. So it's very easy for a buyer to buy everything they need in one go. And it's also guiding the buyer, making it easier for a buyer to buy. So it's no longer about selling to a buyer. It's about facilitating the buyer in its buying journey and really making it easier for them to buy. And that's what we mean by merchandising for a B2B company. So there's a couple of different parts to unpack there. Like I mentioned, I think of merchandising traditionally as an e-commerce experience. And back in the day when I worked at eBay, somebody would come in looking for an iPhone and we needed to figure out what were the relevant products to show that person because 50% of the people that come in looking for one product or probably more, I don't remember what the stat is, end up buying other products. So somebody coming in and looking for an iPhone is likely to end up buying in consumer technology or clothing. And understanding those learnings helped eBay figure out what were the other pieces of content to merchandise to the consumer, right? What's the buying profile look like and what are the other products that they're interested in? You're talking about a couple different pieces. A, there is helping customers understand what is the right product for them, but also helping them understand some of the details and features around it. I think of B2B traditionally as companies that don't have a lot of products, but have a few with a lot of features. Talk to me about the difference when you're merchandising for B2B, doing product selection or doing product education, helping people understand what the various features they have that are relevant. One of the things that I urge customers to do is not only to describe their product and the universe around the product with all its accessories and parts and stuff like that, it's also to describe the application of the product. And that can be done in many different ways. A video is, of course, a very effective way of describing the application. But many customers of ours can have different applications for the same product. So it can be used in many different ways. Thus, you need to describe that application for each and every persona that is buying your product. And I also like to urge our customers to really figure out how to guide their customer to find the right thing. Because let's say I'm coming in looking for a spare part for my product, and you have the same product, but you're looking for an accessory. We might end up buying the same SKU, but we will have very different paths down the funnel in order to be able to find what we're looking for. And our buying journeys will be very different. And thus, guiding both of us to get to the relevant content that we need in order to make our buying decision is really crucial. So that's also where the merchandising for B2B is different because it's more about removing the friction in the buying journey and making it very easy and digestible to get to the right thing. It's not about inspiration. It's about, like you say, explaining what it can be used to do, what it can solve for and in the application that it's meant to solve. So that requires a lot more content than you usually see. And also, we can see that B2B buyers have a tendency now to go to places like Amazon too. And that means that like an A-plus page and enhanced content becomes really crucial too, even in the touch points that are out of their control in the third-party marketplaces. So this seems like there's an exercise here. And when we talk about merchandising, a lot of it goes back to sort of the fundamentals of marketing, which is understanding who your customers are. When you're thinking about merchandising, how are you going through the exercise of segmenting your customers? How are you doing your research to understand what the right experience or merchandise is to present to the customer? 
that is important in B2C, but I do believe it's even more important in B2B to understand your customer and what they're actually looking for. Because the buying process for a B2B buyer is to solve for a problem. It's not because they like to buy welding equipment or it's not because they like to buy an industrial robot. They do it. They do it because they're tasked to solve a problem. So the application piece is important there, but it's also, I think, really important to make it easy for them to filter down to what they actually need. So getting the right attribute is also critical here. And as I said, some come in for a spare part, some come in for an accessory. Guiding them in the right way is all about merchandising. And if you do that right, the friction will be taken out of the buying journey and you are more likely to get the sale. And thus you need more content and you really need to figure out how to adapt that content to these personas in the channels. And we supply the content, the adaptation of it is of course done in the touch point, in the channel, on the website or the commerce site that our customers are selling through. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So your company is built around adaptive merchandising. Talk to me about what the adaptive portion of the merchandising experience is. What does that mean? It actually means that when you have a customer that comes in looking for a solution, they will come in with a different set of requirements. They come in with a different set of product properties that they're looking for, solving for different problems. We need to have enough content in order to be able to, in the channel, adapt to their need. Because it's great to have a CMS or a commerce solution that has a lot of personalization abilities. But if you only have one image and one text, it's very hard to adapt. Everyone will see the same thing. If you don't have the set of data, everyone will get the same message regardless of what their need is and regardless of what they tell you in their buying journey. So in order to adapt, you need to have more content and the content needs to have a structure to make it easy for the front end solution to adapt to the buying behavior of the customer. 
So it seems like there's more than just product merchandising that's here, that understanding the customer helps multiple different types of brand. This is not just traditional merchandising where I'm looking for widget A, and I, if I'm looking for a used part or a new part, I'm still looking for the same part. You need to know who the customer is. But it's also understanding even for things like professional services products, where you need to understand what the customer is, something that's digital. You can be changing some of the language on the homepage, some of the language on your offer pages, your sale through pages, all those things like merchandising is not just about product assortment, which most people think about. It is about essentially modifying your sales pitch to be relevant to the right person. You're right. It's about getting the right message to the right person. And if you look at a lot of the B2B merchandising tools, the searchandising engines and so forth, they're really good at saying others that bought also bought, others that looked at also bought, others that whatever you want to do also did this and that. However, a B2B buyer doesn't want that. They want to find that solution. So in that case, you need to be able to guide them quickly to what they're looking for. And when they found it, you need to be able to articulate why they should buy your product very, very rapidly. And if you look at the shift in the B2B buying behavior, the last like five, 10 years has been enormous. You've seen that the baby boomers are no longer working as B2B buyers. The B2B buyers are 30, 35 years old, and they're born digital. So the way that they want to do business is by self-servicing. 70% of them, according to Forrester, don't even want to talk to a sales guy anymore. They don't want to go golfing. They don't want to have a long dinner to come to a purchasing decision. They want to do this quickly and make their decision and go on with their daily life. So the merchandising piece is absolutely necessary in order to quickly guide them, to get them to understand the benefits of your product and the value proposition that you have. I'm in that age bracket and I'll still take a nice dinner. <laughs> Maybe I'm an old soul. So I think the thing that concerns me about the idea of merchandising and constantly changing your marketing assets to meet the needs of individual buyers is it means that every single piece of copy and image on your homepage is something that is always going to change, right? There's infinite possibilities for how you can modify your marketing assets, which means you could always be doing more work. How do you know what to merchandise? How do you know what to change? Are you always rotating the image on your homepage? Should you just be focused on the images on your sale through pages? What are the things that you need to focus on? And when is enough enough when it comes to merchandising? I think within the B2B world, there's less of merchandise copy than you would see in the B2C world. It's more descriptive than you would see in the B2C world. And many of the products that a B2B company is selling will change rather slow. Some products will have a very long life cycle. We have lots of customers within fast fashion. Now, their issue is that they have maybe three-week product life cycles. If you look at many of our industrial manufacturers, their life cycles can be 50 years. And most of the need that the customer will have during that life cycle will come at the end of the life of the product. So the older it gets, the more parts it needs, the more service it needs. 
So it's not only about promoting the products that you're currently selling. You also need in your web presence to be able to give them access to products that are no longer sold, but are still a very important piece of their infrastructure, which is also a very interesting business opportunity. Because if you can easily cater to their needs when they need service or they need parts or accessories, there's a huge business opportunity there. And for many B2B companies, especially the industrial manufacturers, the aftermarket piece is the most lucrative part of their business. So being able to do that and to merchandise actually around older products too is important. So it's less about copy and more about figuring out how to guide them to find the right thing and to put that into the context of the application that they're using it in. Lots to think about, and I think it's an important call out that understanding where the customer is in their buying journey is really what you're pivoting on when you're thinking about how to merchandise products and services to them. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Johan Bostrom, co-founder at InRiver, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Johan and I are going to discuss why the future of merchandising is adaptive. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Johan, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile from our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is Dendar Bostrom, D-E-N-D-A-R-B-O-S-T-R-O-M. Or you can visit his company's website, which is inriver.com. Just one link in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com. We have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our once a week newsletter to follow along with all of our content. And you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much everywhere. And if you'd like to reach out to me personally, my handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Johan Bostrom, co-founder at InRiver, we're going to publish an episode every day. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.